Hey everyone, welcome to the 52nd episode of Baseline Intelligence, the podcast designed to make you a better tennis player and a smarter athlete. I'm your host, Jonathan Stokey. Today's guest is Rajiv Ram. Rajiv is the reigning three-time U.S. Open men's doubles champion, is ranked sixth in the world, and just recently won the ATP Tour Finals with his partner, Joe Salisbury. On today's episode, we discuss finishing volleys at the net, how he covers the net effectively, and what separates a tour pro from a 4-0 player. So sit back, relax, and prepare to become a smarter tennis player. All right, Rajiv, welcome to the pod. Happy to be here. So we did our first episode, I want to say it was like basically almost two years ago. And since then, you've won a couple more U.S. Opens, which is amazing. You've been ranked in the top five pretty much the entire time. Uh, and then just recently, a couple of weeks ago, you won the tour finals with Joe. And so you're just racking up big win after big win. I'm actually curious with the tour finals and the round robin format, does that title feel different or is the whole process different than like a normal Grand Slam? Yeah, it definitely feels different just because the format is different. I think I think the thing about the tour finals is that it's such a I want to say achievement, but such a, a goal to qualify in the first place, you know, because it's it's only eight eight double teams and eight singles players. So it's like it's like that's that's a big step just to just to be there. And then I, I've always viewed it as just right beneath kind of the Grand Slams because it's such a prestigious event. If you look at the list of the people that have played it and won it, it's it's kind of the who's who of tennis. So. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's different because the format, but it's right up there in terms of, uh, you know, how I feel about achieving. They're, the tour finals are indoors, and we're recording this at the end of November, early December. A lot of people are playing indoors. Yeah. Is there anything that you do differently with your game or that you have to adjust with indoor tennis versus outdoor? I'm, I'm actually quite comfortable indoors because growing up in Indianapolis, we you know played a lot of junior tennis indoors and whatnot. So, I mean, I, I actually think I, I may even have an advantage over some of the people that didn't like uh, didn't play so much indoors but I feel like it's first of all I think it's really cool that one of our biggest events is indoors because all the slams are obviously not so I think that's really cool that this one is um I think the one thing that I would say is that you really gotta kind of focus on the fact that there are no elements can be sort of uh, something that's a little different and and I think the people that hit the ball the cleanest sometimes get the most advantage of it. So I feel like for me, I mean, that's probably one of my strengths anyway, but I feel like I really try and focus on that, you know, making good contact on the ball every single time because you really get rewarded for that because you don't, if you do that well, if you see it well, if you hit it well, you don't really have anything to mess that up. And I think that's a, a big reason why some of the people that uh, are the cleanest ball strikers are the best players indoors. One thing I want to ask you, I don't know if you still do it with Joe, but I know as juniors, we used to defer the toss a lot when we were outside. <laughs> So you, you just mentioned you just mentioned indoors. There's no variables. There's no wind. There's no sun. Do you still defer the toss outside? No, actually, we we oh when I'm outside, yeah, we do defer. Yeah, when the you're toss. outside, yes, 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 we do defer the toss because because uh, quite often if we want to serve on a certain side, it's not it's not an always thing like you and I used to do. Uh, but you know we do like to try and have me serving first because we feel like that's the strongest portion uh, sort of sort of strongest uh, formation that we have me serving and Joe at the net but generally we just like to serve first if we can so whoever's serving so if, it, if it's like a really bad situation where we definitely want me to serve on one side and him to serve on the other then we'll kind of try to finagle that the right way but um, but most of the time we do choose to serve um, and indoors we always choose to serve because it doesn't really matter right there are no variables so can you explain then to the listener because most people don't defer the toss ever 
Yeah. Right. So can you explain yeah. what, what that process looks like and how you get yourself lined up on the side that you want when you want? Yeah, sure. So basically what happens is if you, the umpire flips the coin and if we happen to win the toss, we would defer, which means that we let our opponents choose and they're either going to choose serve or receive or choose the side they want to start on. So quite often, you know, most of the time no one chooses a side straight away. They're going to either going to choose serve or receive. So then if we definitely have a strong preference on which side I want to serve on or which side Joe wants to serve on, then we'll line it up so where that happens. Because in doubles, the biggest thing is you serve on the same side over and over again, which is something that you don't do in singles. In singles, you have to serve on both sides. So you can really make a uh, an educated sort of play if you if you have a side that you like or, or, or your partner. And I think that happens even more in, in, when you have a righty-lefty combination because that's really important because you know then you can completely avoid let's say the sun in, in most cases, which is the most difficult thing to deal with. So we're going to get nerdy in this, this episode. We're going to get, we're going to get educational. We, we, you we've been nerdy for a long time, so we're, we're not getting nerdy. <laughs> Very fair. I'm getting you nerdy with me. We're, we're, we'll call it that. Uh, but you got a ton of Instagram questions and people were all kind of trying to figure out how your mind works, what your tips are when you're in these little situations. Um, so we're going to get right into it. But I spoke to Dan Kiernan actually uh, a couple days ago, and he said a stat. You just said that Joe, when you are serving and Joe is at the net, that's your strongest point. But he threw me out a stat, and he said that you, when you are at the net and Joe is serving, you have won 89% of the points when you touch the ball first at the net. So what are you doing, or, or why is that that you are so effective when you get the ball first at the net? I mean, I, it's it's a, it's a good question for sure. And it's one thing that I actually kind of, I, I didn't know the exact step, but I know that I think I'm, I'm quite effective when that happens. Um, I feel like one of the things I do quite well in as a server's partner, so that would be my position in that situation, is if I get the ball, I feel quite good about finishing the point on that shot. Um, I think I, I read the game pretty well. I read the ball, the, the angles pretty well. And I, I sort of have the ability with my hand skills to to you know, get the ball off the sides of the court, which is quite often the easiest way to finish it, or to to take the pace off and sort of, you know, drop the ball short. I don't always focus on covering everything. I just try to get to my spot. And if the ball comes to me, as you say, I, I, I do pretty well with it. But I think a lot of times what can happen in that situation is people, they overcover maybe, and they try to cover too much. And what ends up happening is the ball comes right at you and then you're, you're sort of, you know, you're not balanced, you're not ready to make a good play on it and you don't end up covering anything at all, you know. So I think one of the things I've, I've learned to do pretty well is know what my territory is and be okay with the ball passing me. Sometimes it passes me on my side too, you know, through the doubles alley and whatnot. And, and we don't win that point, obviously, because my partner's not there either. But, you know, I let the opponent beat us with sort of the tougher shots as opposed to sort of, you know, hitting it right at me and, and not feeling ready to, to, to make a good play on it. Um, and I think that makes it quite difficult for the returner to keep feeling like they can hit good returns because if they feel like they hit it at me and, and I'm going to win the point straight away, it, it causes a lot of pressure and maybe makes people overhit and whatnot. So, yeah, it's one of the things I sort of pride myself on is if I do touch the ball, I want to I wanna finish the point. I don't try to get everything. I don't try to, you know, be, be Joe like a, an athlete like Joe up there. But, you know, when the ball comes to me, I try to try to finish the point. Can you explain how you you said if I get to my spot or I'm covering my territory? Let's say you just call. Let's say your regular formation and you just call stay. How do you view what what is your responsibility there on your half of the court? Like, is there a to the singles line to the net strap? Is there a certain way you can describe that for someone out there? 
Yeah, sure. So if it's like a regular, first of all, I got to know where the serve's going because that changes my territory, right? If it's a T-serve, let's say we're talking about the do sides, it's a T-serve. So I'm going to cover more towards the middle of the court because the angles dictate the fact that the ball is going to have to pass you know, more of my side if it's going to beat me through my alley on my side, right? So uh, it, it has a big deal to do where, with you know, where the serve is going. But basically, in simplest terms, if, if you're going to hit the ball in my alley on my side over and over again, that's fine. I'll let you, you know, have that. And if I'm going to cover on the other side so that my partner doesn't have to hit an inside volley, which that means basically means if he's on the do side serving, he, he doesn't have to hit a backhand volley. So any middle ball more or less is mine. If you hit it to his forehand volley and, and further than that, that's his ball. If you hit it to my alley, that's your point. That's fine. But anything else I'm going to try and get my hand on or at least get in the way of as best as I can. So if you kind of take those parameters, then you know where the serve is. You, you can sort of position yourself accordingly. That's a beautiful thing. I hope anyone listening rewinds and listens to that answer one more time. You said as many times as they want to go in my alley and about the inside volley. That's that's awesome. Yeah. Um, a lot of people had Instagram questions. You mentioned your hands and your ability to kind of angle it off the court. You get very close. I actually took an awesome video of you at the open. I think it was third round, and you were right on the net. You hit a great backhand reflex. Do you have any tips for when you are close to the net and someone's kind of hitting fast, what you kind of think of and how you operate there? Yeah, I actually have a great tip for that or a great thing that I think of is I, I feel like I think of my racket as a, a piece of wood, a two-by-four. You know, like if you do anything extra, any movement, any kind of – sort of extra motion or add pace to a ball that's already coming fast, if you have a piece of wood, it's probably not going to go very well, you know? And the thing about being really tight to the net and, and all that, it's almost, I think of it as a deflection more than a shot. Like I'm just taking the ball and I'm deflecting it to one side or the other, you know? And the other thing is, is that you kind of have to know, you, it, it's all happening really fast. You have one opportunity to make one decision. So any indecision there of if I should hit the ball cross court down the line short through the middle is going to is going to get in the way. So that's sort of where the practice and the repetitions come into play is if you know if you if, if you know the serve is going to a certain spot, you know your target to finish the the point is at a certain spot and sort of it's sort of like um, very programmed if you will to to know where to hit the ball. So those two things for me because all of that happens faster than anything else happens in tennis, you know. I mean when when someone serves pretty well and then the return comes at you pretty hard it, there's not much time to make decisions or there's no time really so yeah def deflect it to a spot and, and and know where you're going before you even start so why do you so the video I took in a lot of the volleys I saw you were like two or three feet from the net which I love by the way and clearly it's clearly it's working for you um, but why do you go there that close versus maybe six feet from the net I mean I think that your angle of, of being able to put the ball away increases a lot I mean in, in doubles, since there's two people on the other side of the net, the easiest place to put the ball away is off the sides of the court, right? It's not through the through the baseline because there's two people, like we said. So the closer you are to the net, the easier it is to hit it kind of sideways and, and shorter. And the, the other thing is, is the ball, the guys return so well now and they hit the ball so hard. In theory, you would think about backing up would be easier, but if you back up, it just feels like you get beat up even more. You know, you're, you're sort of not taking the play to your opponent and I feel like it's a it's quite an intimidating feel if they feel like man I hit that really hard and he's just kind of deflected it off to the side and, and I don't even get a play on the next ball so I feel like mentally and sort of you know positionally it's just more of a an aggressive way to play love that you go I formation quite a bit and we did get a lot of I formation questions 
you and Joe kind of go, I don't know what you call We used to call it semi-I, but you, you kind of go like offset. So if yeah. you were serving to the ad court and you're in I formation, you will be towards the side you are serving towards a little bit. Why do you guys kind of offset that I versus straddling that center service line? I mean, it's basically just trying to play the angles as best as you can, right? So it's like because the ball is over on that side of the court, let's say you're talking about serving in the ad court. So the ball, obviously the serve is going to go to the ad side. So, you know, your job as the net person is to cover the biggest space you can. So if you're kind of in the middle, you leave a lot of room straight ahead of that returner on the ad court that you're not going to be able to cover, no matter what you're doing, uh, no matter which side you end up covering as a, as a net player. So um, it's basically just to, again, shrink the court as much as possible to make it as difficult for your opponents as possible. And, and we always talk about how we're okay losing a game, a set, a match to great shots. We, we don't want to lose any of those things to average, mediocre shots, which is more through the middle. What's your footwork when you're the guy in the eye formation and you're down? Do you just kind of pop up or do you feel like you actually are sliding to a side or does that depend on the situation? Um, it depends on the situation, but for me, I, I kind of think of it as two moves. The first one is up and towards where the serve is going. And the second move is towards right or left, basically, which whichever side I'm covering. So for my formation, it's, it's, it's a two move idea. So let's say we'll go back to the ad court again. Let's say the serve is out wide. So my first move is going to be diagonally to my right towards where the ball is going off the serve. And then let's say I have to cover the right. So then it would be another like hop step to the right. Then I would be in position to where I feel like is pretty good. And so it would be that move, but whichever way I'm going, right or left. This, this might, well, I guess you can answer from your perspective, but also a lot of times the open, you might've gone eye on the first serve and Joe misses it. And you kind of go, hey, it sounded like you say, do you want to go I or regular? That's what yeah, it sounds like. Yeah, I say that a lot, yeah. I kind of jumble that word together, but yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, it doesn't quite sound like that, but I kind of figured out what you guys are getting <laughs> at. How do you, I guess he's the guy calling it, but if you're the server, how do you decide, you know what, on the second serve, I want to keep it I or, or I want to go regular? What goes into that thought process? I mean, obviously a lot of that is feel, you know, as, as the match goes on, you're like, okay, this returner is seeming to enjoy the target, enjoy the eye. Okay, let's play regular and just play it a second serve in this case in the first volley and go from there. But to be honest, a lot of that stuff is we discuss it before the match, you know, of, okay, especially if it's a big point, how do you want to play this point? Does this returner prefer a certain thing? Does, does playing eye or regular set us up better, you know, to defend our second serve uh, or defend you know, whatever it might be. So we, we, we do talk a lot about that stuff kind of beforehand because I think one of the things we try to avoid is sort of indecision or, or maybe a little bit of panic or hesitation in that big moment when you need to save a break point or when you need to close out a game or something like that. You, you'd want to kind of have an idea of what's going on beforehand. I know you guys pinch a lot. And like you said, you want to take up space, decrease angles. How often do you actually call a poach? And then how often in a match do you think you just poach naturally, organically, like in the point? How often does that happen for you? Yeah, I would say it's about the same. It's about 50-50 in terms of whether we do it organically or whether we call the poach. Um, as far as whether we actually call a poach on a regular formation, I mean, I don't know the exact number, but I, I, I don't think, I'd be shocked if it was more than 15 or 20% of the time. Um, because I feel like sometimes it's more effective to do it organically because, you know, the server then is still going to his spot and the, and the, and the net player is 
crossing. So you do leave half the court open, but it's quite confusing for the for the other team. Some 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 great returners actually look at the server quite often to see where they're going because the net player doesn't, you know, they, they do a great job of disguising their move. So if the server is then, you know, going to his spot, but the net player poaches, even though you leave half the court open, you still might draw the ball to, towards you and, and make a good play there. So, um, but as you said, even if we don't poach, we are pinching and squeezing a lot to, again, trying to take away that middle, which is, you know, theoretically the easiest return to hit is, is in the biggest part of the court. Do you have any good footwork or thoughts that you have when you do decide to go, when you read your opponent and you think it's a ball that you like? What does your footwork look like? What does that, what does that skill look like for you? I mean, I think the, the biggest part about it is, is not overcomplicating it. You know, you are close to the net, the ball's coming fast, there's not much time. I mean, as, as sharp and as sort of sure as you can be with your steps um, is, is super important. I, I always think about, for me, I always get in trouble when I'm late with my split step and when I'm late with my movement. So if I'm going to make a move, I, I want to be early because I'd rather be balanced than disguised, let's say, because I think a lot of times people confuse being disguised with being, you know, you know, holding your move as long as possible. But what happens a lot of times if you're if you're late, you end up, like I said before, not really covering anything. And, and even a ball that might go right past you, you're not in, in the right position to hit. But if you get to your spot early, if you make your move early, even though the other person might see it, you can still cover a lot more ground, which then makes you, in my opinion, makes me at least a lot more effective. Um, I might delete this if you call me out for being crazy, but the way I used to time the poach was I felt like when they were taking their racket back, mm-hmm. they could still change their mind. They could go down the line. They could go cross. So when the racket's just up, but once they were about to drop their racket to hit the ball, then I feel like they're committed. Yeah. And so I was kind of timing that in my mind. And once I felt like they were going to drop, I would take off. And I know it's not too early because there's no way you can change your mind like in that six inches before you hit the ball. Yeah. Am yeah. I crazy? No, you're not crazy. But I think you're a lot more athletic than I am, too. So like you could actually you could actually like that's too for me, that would be too late. Because even though I agree with you that that's when you can't change your mind anymore. If I were to move, then I would probably be late to my spot. Then even if they hit the ball to me, I don't think I'd be very effective. You know, I think. One of the things I said, like my strength in this in this whole thing is if if the ball comes to me, like you said, I whatever it was, 89 percent of the points I win. So I want to make sure that if the ball does come to me and I do draw that returner to hit the ball to my poach, that I finish the point. You know, I think that's where I can be the most effective. So I would probably go a little bit earlier than that um, because I feel like even though even if they see me, I can still maybe get it on the other side if I'm balanced enough. And if they do, for whatever reason, not see me or hit it to me anyway, I'm so much more effective that way. So we're going to get into Instagram questions. And I told you we got a ton and maybe I'll be able to add some here. We'll see how it goes. But the first question, it's a great question. They wanted to know you and Joe started slow this year. And then obviously the second half has been awesome. So they wanted to know what the key things that you guys changed to turn your season around. Um, You know, this year was a tough one. I mean, we had we were dealing with injury issues for a lot of the first part of the year. Uh, I didn't have a very good time with my Achilles, and he was struggling with a back injury. And, and it just it just shows you how fine the margins are. I mean, we had to reduce practice time a little bit. We had to you know change some things because you know we couldn't go and do as much as we'd like. And and you lose a little bit of an edge, and all of a sudden you know you're staring at. You know, when I, thought, I don't know what we were after Wimbledon. I think we were like 12 or 15 in the race and, and all that. And then uh, it's, it's it was different for sure. But luckily, all of those things got better. And, and we held, still had the belief to, to put the work in and, and feel like we were uh, one of the better teams. 
Was there a tactic or idea that you initially had difficulty buying into that has ended up being a very positive thing for you in the long term as a professional? Um, yes. It's actually an idea of sort of being the energy leader and sort of the, the you know, the person that creates a positive environment. Because I, I wasn't like that in singles and you would be very... You know this very well. In, in juniors, I wasn't like that either. You know, when we would we we would play together, there wasn't a whole lot of like you know fire up and pump and all that. We just sort of did our thing, and it was much more comfortable for me to operate in that in that environment. But you know, to sort of be the person that you know con- tries to control the energy flow and the environment that the match is played in has been something that's been extremely challenging for me. But I think it's been hugely a positive thing. I've noticed that in, in the matches I watch online there's a lot of vamos Rafa out of you. Like you're, yeah. you're throwing fist pumps and, and I'm like, man, that, that is different. And one thing that people, players I work with, a lot of times something like that, they'll go, well, that's not me. And I, I would say from watching you, that's, that's not the you that I remember. So how did you kind of break through that barrier and go, this is not who I am naturally, but this is what is required of me to be at my best. How did you get through that barrier? You know, for me, a lot, a big part of it, the the doubles thing was what what can I do to foster the best environment for my partner and I think that is one thing I think my partner in this case Joe plays better when I create that environment so we had a this was something that was done completely by design is that you know you both him and I both are not the most uh, let's say you know energetic outward individual sort of like you and I weren't either you know when we played and and I and but in, in order to be successful and a lot of these a lot of these matches come down to just who can kind of produce something at the right time it's not look if we were to play our best every day it wouldn't be an issue but that's not the case you don't play your best every day not not even close and you have to sort of manufacture some energy at the right moment and so I think you know that was a big part of me being you know adapting and buying into the idea was that, hey listen if you act like this your partner is going to play better and that's just going to make everything flow a little bit better. And, and if you can really get good at this skill, it, it was just like, you know, I don't hit a great backhand all the time, but I have to work at it. I have to work. So it's just a skill just like anything else. I, I sort of um, sort of how I view it. This person had a great question. And speaking of Joe, they wanted to know, do you and Joe communicate differently when you guys are winning versus when you're losing? You mean on the court, I assume? Yeah, yeah. Well, oh, actually both. Now you open it up, so you got to answer both now. But yeah, I think they were referring to on the court, you know, in between, maybe you've lost the set. Does that communication look different when you guys are up a set versus down a set? In theory, we try not to. You know, you try and just basically keep going, keep, you know, keep doing the best that you can with what you have on the day, keep being the best partner you can be. And I think one of the things when we're at our best and things are or aren't going well, I feel like you wouldn't necessarily be able to tell on a changeover. We're still looking for, okay, do we have to make a tactical shift? Do we have to make a, you know, is somebody not feeling their best? Is somebody feeling flat? Does somebody have to sort of pick up the energy of the team? Is there something? And and that doesn't matter what the score is, right? I think that's when we're at our absolute best is when we can sort of look the same, act the same, and and be the same winning or losing. Um, does that always happen? No, for, for sure not. But that's definitely the goal. Um, and then I think I think we've gotten better at, off the court stuff as well the same kind of thing if it's you know if we've in a a good stretch or a bad stretch trying to be the same towards each other towards the rest of our team members in practice um and i think that was a big a big learning from this year is to to really get good at that because as you said we we had kind of it was a sort of a tale of, of of two halves of the year 
We got a couple technical questions. This person loves your serve and they want to know what your best technical advice is for someone trying to improve their serve. Generally speaking, you can't see their oh. serve, but is there a thought is there a thought that you have? I mean, you know, the serve is probably the most personal thing in tennis because you control it from start to finish, you know. Every other shot in tennis you have to react to a ball that's being hit at you. Um, so the, the, the best thing I can say to somebody is, is sort of express yourself, feel, feel free to serve and express yourself how you think feels the best, because we've seen how many great serves in the history of tennis. I'll just talk about on the men's side, whether it's, you know, all the way back to John McEnroe facing, you know, he faces his back towards you to Ivanisevic who looks right at you and serves to Roddick who serves on this half motion to, you know, you know, Pete Sampras, obviously someone who I've modeled my serve after who, you know, maybe is a little bit of everything. Boris Becker had the wrong grip, you know, but it, it all worked, right? And and they all were great servers, all the people that I've I've named. And I feel like uh, you know, there's no one way to do it. So really I think what feels the best and most natural to you can work. Love that. On the flip side, obviously returning is super important. I guess you we'll we'll make this two parts, but they wanted to know what your best advice was for returning on the ad side. And mm-hmm. then I'd love to know just your best advice for returning in general. I mean, I think returning is one of those things similar to the volley like we talked about. It's it, it, The ball is coming at you really fast, especially if you're playing at a decent level. I mean, people serve really well. And so I think the more simple you can make it, it's not the same as a ground stroke. You don't have time to have the same swing path and the swing length and all that. So, I mean, I think just thinking about the best way you can make the cleanest contact most of the time is, is for me, um, been the the best way that I can think about it for my return. Um, I feel like people go wrong when they try to overhit, when they try to go to, you know, targets that are too small. I mean, if it's, you're talking about singles, you know, the best return of all time is currently playing right now, Novak Djokovic. How many balls does he hit winners on? Not many, but how many balls kind of go a couple feet from the baseline, dead down the middle of the court, and he just gets in the point. And it's it's incredible to watch, it, and it amazes me every time, but he, he keeps doing it over and over again. So I think simplicity is, is your friend when it comes to returning serve. I'm also going to make this a. I'm going to split this up into two questions as well because I want to hear it for both levels. This person said, "What's the biggest mistake you see?" We're going to initially keep it like maybe at the pro or college level. Okay. The biggest mistake that you see that lower level doubles teams make, and what they should kind of be doing instead. So, if you were to look at a great college player, let's say at Illinois, what are they doing differently than what the top pros are doing? I mean, honestly, I think when you go. Any of the levels, when you talk about that level, I mean, players can hit the ball well. But I think when we talk about some of this sort of controlling energy, controlling, you know, emotions, controlling sort of uh, the momentum and the flow of the match, I think that's where I feel like the levels, you really see that. You know, people who um, are at the highest levels, I feel like even if they're having a bad day, they find a way to facilitate, you know, good vibes for their partner to play well. Because it's at the end of the day, you don't have to, it's not a 50-50 deal. It's if I'm not having a good day hitting the ball, but I can make my partner have a great day, it doesn't matter. We, we win and we get to play the next day and I get a chance to do it again. So I feel like you, you you see some of the, you know, some of the people who you feel like, oh man, that's maybe he could play a little bit better. It's, it's a lot of times it's not really about them in doubles. It's about, it's a team thing, right? And it's, I feel like the best teams in the world facilitate their partner's regardless of how they're feeling to, to play well. 
and I know you, you probably don't sit around at the country club in Indianapolis and like watch three, five doubles, but let's take it down a, a major level and uh-huh. go, Hey, we're looking at three, five, four Oh doubles players. What, what's the biggest thing that you see that they're lacking in their doubles games? Yeah. I, I don't have a ton of experience with this, but, but I would say two things. One, I would still say that same thing applies, right? It's like if you're out there on a weekend with your buddies playing and your partner's having a terrible day, I, I do often feel like I see this a lot where it's like people get down on their partners, you know? And it's like, you know, when when they're struggling, they need you to do the opposite. They need you to make them feel good. They need you to make them, you know, make it, make it easier for them to kind of dig their way out. So that'd be the first thing. The second thing is, is, there's no substitute for putting balls in the court. And I feel like you just see errors and you see mistakes on balls that, you know, that, that don't need to be missed, really. I mean, it, it, you know, if, if you make your opponent play, especially in doubles, it's really tough to hit winners. There's two people on the other side of the net. If you can just make your opponent hit a few more shots of a match or whatever, it, it can sometimes make all the difference in the world. So I would just say generally making errors would be would be something that I would – Love to see cut down on at that level. One of the coaches I work with, he says that pros do a better job of like properly evaluating what their opponents are capable of. And Mm. amateurs kind of overestimate like, man, if I just make this ball, well, for sure, they're going to finish it. Yeah, they'll hit a winner. And and you guys are a little bit better of kind of knowing, well, if I make this ball, they might give me a a tough one, but I'm still alive. And and also they might mess it up. Yeah. And then I can get back to neutral. Um, Do you think that's kind of like an accurate way of, of how you see it? hugely accurate i think people at the amateur level feel like if i don't hit a great shot here i'm just gonna lose the point on the next ball and it's like you got to put yourself in the other person's shoes all of a sudden if they hit the same ball to you do you think you're gonna finish that overhead or finish that sitter or even finish that regular volley every time probably not you know so i think uh yeah uh, quite often i feel like at the lower levels people try and win points and at the at the higher levels you know we're very okay with having your opponent lose the point for you. Yes. It's kind of like uh, Bill Belichick in football. I think he said before you want to learn how to win, you got to learn how to stop losing yeah, so much. Completely. And I'm like, oh, God, that's gold. Yeah, completely. I mean, it's sort of the thing I said about, you know, you're not going to play your best. We, we play our best once in our life. Okay, so you play a good match, maybe a, a great match, maybe, what, three or four times a year. The rest of the time, you know, you got to figure out a way to, to just be a little bit better than your opponent. And quite often that means just not losing to them. Can't wait to see you, you know, squirm on this one because I just kind of tricked you. That oh, was kind of like a 4-0 question. But the last question is your best advice for the 4-0 player. So now you're going to have to think of something different than what you just said. Okay, I got I got a real specific one. I got a real specific one. I feel like the, the one of the biggest differences between, okay, professional or, or the higher levels and, and the lower amateur levels is what people, how people can deal with overheads. I feel like that is one thing that you watch sort of like, you know, yeah, even even like high school players or whatever. It's like, man, if the ball goes up, it's like it's quite a tough thing for people to do. And it's it's a shot that I feel like is hardly ever practiced. You know, people, you know, at, at the club level, they're out there forehands and backhands and volleys and maybe even serves and returns. And it's like they come to that and they're like, oh, I'll, have, I'll have two overheads today. And it's like, well, how do you expect that you're actually going to be effective if you practice two overheads? Like practice your overheads, get out there and actually like have someone – you know, whoever it is, you know, if you feed me 10, I'll feed you 10. Then we do it again. It's something that we practice quite a lot too, is, is, you know, you feel like the, the overheads are such a momentum shifter. If you, you know, have an overhead and you put it away, you feel good about yourself. The opponent feels like, oh man, they're, they're really, they're really, you know, tough. And 
on the other side, if you kind of dig back a couple lobs and you have your opponent miss an overhead, it's 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 worth more than just that one point. It's 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 a really a momentum shifting thing. So that's one shot I would say I feel like is a big difference. I love that. And then there's the trickle down effect too, because I used to feel like if someone threw up a slice lob, I'm like, okay, you're throwing up the white flag because we're gonna smash this. It's over. And after you've proven that a couple times, next time they're in trouble, they might go for a hero shot. And now you don't even have to hit the overhead. Now now they've just assumed, okay, well, he's hit five great overheads. And so you kind of start winning points based off the respect from your previous overheads. And the other thing too, the other thing too is I hear a lot. That's such a great answer because so many amateurs that I speak to, they go, oh, I hate playing that team. They just lob all the time. Exactly. How much do you, and like, what's wrong with that? I go, you wouldn't hate it. Like, honestly, that's kind of like my favorite strategy. If someone wants to give me overheads all day, I'm like, that's awesome for me. It yeah. just exposes that you don't like overheads. That's all it is. Yeah. But you hear, you hear that a lot when, when club players or amateur players talk about, yeah, that team just lobs all the time as if that's like sort of a bad thing, you know? And it's like, well, if you can't hit overheads properly, that's a pretty good idea. You know, I'm a terrible friend and a human being, but you are turning 40 next year, correct? Next year. Just like you. Okay. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I think you're like one month ahead of me because I knew we played ITFs the same. So you're about to, that number is going to slide from a three to a four. I know. What lies ahead of you in your 40s? In my in the whole decade? I don't know. I'm trying to just take it one one week at a time at this point. Um, nah, it's crazy. You know, I mean, I, I didn't ever think I would still be playing professional tennis at, at this point in my career. But I think... Uh, you know, it's a credit to a lot of other people too, you know, that have helped me along the way. And also other people that I see in not only tennis, but other sports. I mean, people are being, you know, playing at the highest level, um, you know, well into their, you know, late thirties and forties. And I think, um, you know, not much different. I hope I I'm, I'm enjoying this ride and I'm going to, I'm going to keep going as long as I can. Cause it's a, it's a heck of a lot of fun to, uh, to still play this game for a living. You're, you're doing a lot more than just still playing the game when you're when you're going three opens in a row and a tour finals you're doing a little better than just competing out there but um this has been awesome there have been so many gems in here that i hope people are paying attention to so many people will get better for listening to you and as always it's great catching up with you yeah man it's, it's always a pleasure all right i want to thank rajiv for coming on the show this might have been my favorite episode and yes i am a little biased because he's an old friend but so many incredible doubles gems that you guys can take into your next practice. Net coverage, how to poach, the technique on his volleys, how he returns, why he gets so close to the net. It's all great stuff. But I definitely agree with him that we got to get our overheads better. Every single adult that I coach hates lobs, and I guarantee you'll hate them less if your overhead improves. So dedicate a little extra time each day to finishing overheads and see if you become a more well-rounded net player. I want to thank you all for listening. I know there are a lot of podcasts out there, and I'm grateful you chose to join me today. I'm motivated to evolve and improve, so please subscribe if you enjoyed the episode and leave a comment or review so we keep getting better every week. For more, check out my Instagram, at Stokey Tennis, for clips from these podcasts, as well as general drills and tips to help your tennis game. Thanks for listening. I hope you just improved at tennis without even hitting a ball.